You said key, because you're kind of out of you're out of key. <coughs> uh, hello, it sounds low, Alan. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Uh, test one two, test one two. No, it's still low. I think we had to turn the uh, test one. I think it's just in-house uh, stuff. Test one two. How's that sound? That good? There we go. We've got an older audience, Alan, so <laughs> got to like, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to help. Uh, hello. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6. Let's uh, begin with prayer as we do and thank God for our time together to hear his word and to be uh, refreshed by his word. Uh, To do so, we should be humble and reverent, just concentrating on, um, you know, what God has for us today. So with that, let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be here, to be together, to be before you, to know, Father, that this is another day in this world, but this world is not your kingdom, not yet anyway, and that your kingdom will come and it will, your will will be done. We seek your will, Father, and we seek the, the, the life of your kingdom. It makes you, our Lord, the Holy Spirit, together in the Trinity, the one God, or you are the King of all things. And we are your children. You have made us that by the sacrifice of your Son. And so we gladly and proudly call you Father. We enter into a relationship with you as your children. And uh, we ask, Father, therefore, that through your word, our, our lives, our hearts, as your children would have that change in it that your word brings, more insight, more enlightenment, so that we may see, and we know that, Father, when we see that the doing of this life will follow. And so we ask, Father, through your spirit, that we would be enlightened as such. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So we, just a, a few more words on Tychicus here. Uh, the... <clears throat> final greetings we're, we're at here and the benediction, uh, the final greetings, if we could call them that, are in verses 21 and 22 of Ephesians 6, where Paul writes, but that you also may know about my circumstances and how I am doing. And of course, he's in prison, so uh, there's going to be a report of his 
his health, his well-being, um, you know, how, how things are going for him, what it's like. Uh, we, we can't be exactly sure if he's in Rome when he's writing this or if he's still in Caesarea. And I'll show you the difference here coming up. But uh, <coughs> either way, in Rome, uh, Paul was under house arrest. In Caesarea, he's more likely in a, in a jail, although they wouldn't have treated him very harshly because we find out in the book of Acts that none of the governors uh, think he's guilty. Uh, and, but yet they held on to him. Uh, <coughs> and so he, he wouldn't have been treated harshly, but he was definitely uh, lost his freedom of movement. And that's important because how is he going to communicate his last words to the rest of the church? He can't go anywhere anymore. Uh, so, <coughs> and we're not sure if he actually was released ever. We do know that if he was released, he was rearrested. Uh, so, <coughs> he's using Tychicus to inform them, and not only them, we find out Tychicus goes to several places uh, and would do the same thing. <laughs> Hence, that's why this these words are, are written verbatim. They're word for word exactly the same in Colossians 4 at the end of the letter to the Colossians. And, and that's because it would make sense that Paul is just going to copy that because in both letters, Tychicus's mission is exactly the same. And not just to those two churches, Ephesus and Colossae, but to all the churches in that area. So uh, he calls here, he says, I'm going to send Tychicus, and he calls him the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, and he will make everything known to you. So this title for him is magnificent, something that we would all should aspire to be. You know, None of us are the Apostle Paul, and all of us, therefore, are the servants of others. And that's what minister means. I'll show you the word here today. It means to be a servant. Uh, and, and it is in completely in line with the Lord's parable about what he called a steward. It's the same. It's a different word, but it's the same office. Uh, steward, though, has authority. And all of us do. He has a, a steward in a, a rich man's house has authority over certain other slaves and um, and, and we do as well. Not that we have authority over other people, although we might, but we have authority over a spiritual life that God has given us to live. Uh, God's not going to force us to be faithful. That's up to us. And each of us have work to do. That's not the same as others. And so, you know, we are stewards of that. And in our Lord's parable, there's an unfaithful steward who's beating up the other slaves and got his feet on the couch, you know, that kind of thing, uh, drinking out of the, the, you know, the good silver uh, or crystal and eating off the good silverware, uh, sleeping in the master's bed, that kind of thing. And then there's the, uh, the faithful steward who's doing exactly what he's supposed to do, even though the master's not there, and he doesn't know when the master's coming home. And <clears throat> the Lord said that there's great reward to that slave who the master finds doing so. The master's will when the master returns. And that's what Tychicus is. And that's why he's trusted. Paul's going to put in his hands 
Now, we, we could argue that Ephesians is the most important letter in the Bible. And, so, and there's a, I'm not alone in thinking that. I think that it is. But there's many who think that, that this is Paul's magnum opus, as it is, uh, the, his greatest of letters. And, uh, one of the things we'll see here in his benediction, only in this letter, is his benediction in the third person. So as he, uh, let me skip down here. As he says in verse 23, he says, Peace be to the brethren. Alan, can I have slightly more volume? Just a little bit more. I can feel my, I'm struggling too much. Got to be the steroids. There we go. You'd think on the steroids, I'd be like, rah, right? Uh, perfect. Thank you. Uh, peace be to the brethren. Uh, actually, Alan, a little lower. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I don't mean to ask you up. Okay, they're good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the brethren is third person. He doesn't say peace to you, which is what he does in every other letter. But here it's to the brethren. Third person. And that makes this letter unique. Um, what's also unique about this letter, there's no polemic in it. What polemic means is argumentation. Uh, <clears throat> in Colossae, which is the sister letter to this one, he's he has to um, entreat them to not fall into the error of Gnostic thinking. You don't see any of that here. Uh, there's no argumentation here against false doctrines. He's in, in this letter, it's a straight-out presentation of first three chapters, who we are in Christ through the redemption uh, of Christ through the Father, and then what we are to do as those who are so redeemed in chapters 4 through 6. And <clears throat> it's straight at us. This is the Christian way of life. Uh, this is the life, therefore, of God for all mankind that he has desired for all of eternity. That's the life that we have. It is the life that God has desired for man, who created man in his image. And it's finally come to fruition in the church age. And so that this letter, as important as it is, is put in the hands of this man who has to travel quite a ways to deliver it. He's entrusted not to change it, not to lose it, not to get, you know, at the time, although as I saw a report today about carjacking, uh, in our day and age, um, as it was called then, highway robbery. I remember that phrase, getting away with highway robbery. I never really thought about what highway robbery was, except getting robbed on the highway. And you know, in their day, that, this was always a danger, uh, but it wasn't as dangerous as it used to be, because of one modern um, development, and that was the Roman Empire. That was a modern development: Roman roads and Roman protection. The Romans liked money and peace, right? so they they kept the peace. And if you didn't keep the peace, in your particular area, you knew that the, 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 the soldiers were coming and they were going to deal with you. So, <clears throat> you know, travel was safe, but, you know, not completely safe. Tychicus is entrusted. Why? Well, he's a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. And he'll make everything known to you. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. And so, again, we see here with Paul, 
that his main concern with them, this letter, well, we think about it. We, we think about Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians, which are the main epistles of Paul's doctrine or Paul's theology. Uh, and we think of them as theological. But with Paul, he's writing them for their comfort. I want you to be comforted. Hence, peace be with you. Which is a common greeting. That's common. That's a greeting I grew up with in the Catholic Church, right? When we all turned around and shook hands with people. It was the best part because you could actually get up and move around when I was a kid, you know, and actually look at people. But you said, peace be with you. And, and that's what Paul writes in every letter. Uh, generally at the beginning of the letter and at the end. Peace and grace be with you all. Uh, and so, and that makes sense. You know, the, the, do, the, the reality of God with us, the reality of what he has made, the reality of what he is doing with us in our lives should give us a tremendous amount of comfort. So, uh, just to give us a bit of insight, and I thought, well, you know, it's been a long time since we've done a map, that uh, Paul and the other apostles... You know, what, what Tychicus here is doing gives us a little insight into something that is, is I find incredibly interesting. And that is, you know, how's the early church, no Bibles, by the way, um, how, do they, how do they develop? How do they get their truth? How do they get their, no denominations, no buildings. They don't, no, they all have to gather in secret or in people's houses. There's no official church buildings until around 400 A.D. Um, and so how does it all come about? Uh, which you see here in... Well, let's see if I can pull this off. So this here is... Uh-oh, I turned my pen off, so I can't pull it off. There we go. Asia Minor... Right, so there's a lot of churches in here. As you can see, it it's not bad. Um, the churches that you see in in Revelation two and three, the seven churches, Colossae is here, uh, Ephesus, yeah, is here, uh, and where Paul is in prison is either Rome, which uh, two years in Rome, and two years here, which is where the that was the the seat of government for Rome in Palestine. It wasn't in Jerusalem. It was in Caesarea on the coast. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's where all the official courthouses and all of that were over here. So Paul spent two years there, and then his famous Acts 27 uh, last or fourth missionary journey, he takes this boat trip, uh, and it's here at Southern Crete. That's where they're bringing him to Rome. And the boat starts to sink somewhere here, uh, south of Crete. And then that's a whole chapter of all the, what happens there, which is really magnificent. Um, and so, Paul, you know, think of all the traveling. You know, there's all these lines or Paul's journeys. Uh, he started all these churches, but he can't remain there long. And, of course, it's not just him. It's Peter, the other apostles. We just know the most about Paul. Uh, you know where they went and and what churches they started. We don't all know all that much, but they would have started church. All the apostles would have started local assemblies all over the place. 
when they do that, they would, of course, teach the people that were believers. But, again, they can't remain there. Uh, the official title of an apostle is one who is sent by God. That's what apostle means. And uh, so what would have remained behind amongst the believers in the new local assembly were uh, spiritual gifts, gifts of prophecy, which was of extreme importance in which in the early church, a prophet would get direct revelation from God and speak it to the church. Again, remember, no Bibles. And, <clears throat> you know, when the apostle starts the church, not all the letters are written yet either. Right? Ephesians isn't written yet. We'll, we'll put, you know, before Paul goes to prison. Um, and, and so revelation would come to the gift of prophecy who would speak the doctrines that we find in the book of Revelation or in Philippians or in Colossians. Uh, and as well as that, communicating that to the rest is the gift of pastor or overseer, episkopos in the Greek, the gift of knowledge, the gift of teaching, the gift of faith, gift of tongues in certain places. And, you know, this would have given, this would have caused the word of God to swell amongst the community very rapidly. People would have learned deeply, uh, even though they didn't have their Bibles yet, because there's spiritual gifts uh, that are given to the church. Then they, in turn, would spread the gospel and the truth to their neighboring communities. And there's another great map, I think it's in another uh, program that I have, that shows in little red dots... Um, you know, we start in Jerusalem, and then north of Jerusalem is Antioch. That's really like church number two, and then over to Macedonia. And then as time progresses by the decade, these little red dots that are churches are just keep popping up, but they spread out from an epicenter. And it shows you that, like, for instance, if we go back to, oh, you're there. Not. If we go back to, if I go back to this, yeah, notice how many of these churches are all in this area. And, and Paul traveled through there twice. Uh, and in one, in one instance, he's headed up here to Bithynia, and he's prevented. We find out God the Holy Spirit said, I don't want you going there. For what reason? We don't know. I mean, eventually Christianity was spread there. It had spread everywhere. But this, you know, it, it expands... Not because they have traveling missionaries. It's because, well, in a way they do, but they're, they're those in one local assembly who are talking to their neighbors, who are becoming converted, who are talking to their neighbors, and slowly it spreads throughout the countryside and through the cities. Um, now, what's also true, and again, no Bibles yet. In this case, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and the letter to Philemon are all written by Paul when he's in prison. They're called the prison epistles. He would not be able to teach on their content personally. He's, he just can't. He can write them, but he can't explain them. I say, is it important to explain them? We've been explaining Ephesians, and it's not just because we don't read Greek. We've been explaining Ephesians in light of the doctrine of the whole Bible for years now. And that is necessary. So when he sends Tychicus with this letter, letter uh, Tychicus is not only reading the letter and giving the letter, which they would have copied, 
But he's also explaining it. And the reason why he's able to explain it is because Paul explained it to him. And so Tychicus becomes this first, almost like establishing a Bible conference in these little churches in Asia, of which there are tons of them. We, 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 we imagine that in a place like Ephesus, there isn't one church. Because again, there isn't like a building. They're all gathered together in homes. They don't have cars. So, um, you know, there's probably, there could be a dozen or more places where people are gathering, maybe even more than that, all within, you know, the outskirts of one city or even within it. So uh, then after Tychicus is in one place for enough time, he travels to another, and he does the same thing. Hence, Colossians and Ephesians at the end has some uh, parts of it that are exactly the same. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, who's a great Scottish theologian from the past, writes a terrific book about this history uh, that he calls The Spreading Flame. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> and I think he, he starts his in Corinth, which is over here. Right? And that's what Paul's missionary journey went through Macedonia. He went through Macedonia twice. Uh, and it was Paul's desire, which he, he writes, that he was to go to Spain. And we have no idea if he ever went or not. It's just the history of him ends at the book of Acts, and uh, that's before he dies. So uh, with Tychicus, the mailman, so to speak, he's a whole lot more, uh, <coughs> He gives it, this gives us a little insight into you know how would the church have gotten what they did, the information they did, the knowledge they did, uh, which is absolutely vital to the growth and strength of the church. And so uh, we also, you know, the church needs people. If you don't, if the Apostle Paul is not dedicated to what he's doing by means of loving God and loving the brethren, again, he's concerned for their comfort. It shows that he loves the church. He's concerned for the church. Uh, then it's not going to work, right? God uses people. And uh, if he doesn't have people like Tychicus, it doesn't work. He can't do it on his own. Paul's in chains. He can't bring the letter. Never mind explain it. He needs someone. He needs people. Tychicus would be sent to Ephesus, actually, as a, it's, as a pastor to replace Timothy. Um. So the one who loves God loves God's people. And the one who loves God and his people is trustworthy. They will do, they will do what is necessary, not because you know, they desire to be noticed or they desire uh, to be promoted or any way. There's no selfish reasons whatsoever. And that they'll, Tychicus will do what he does because he loves the Lord. And Paul knows that. And so how does Paul know that? Well, he knows he's faithful. So Tychicus here is a, the word minister is where we get our word deacon from. So if we call him a deacon, he doesn't necessarily have the office of a deacon. He's faithful, so Paul uses him as a deacon. And the fact that he's faithful, Paul has seen over time, over years in fact, because Tychicus has been with him since Acts chapter 20. Um, <clears throat> and so... 
Again, I think I said this yesterday, the Lord told us that a bad fruit, a tree cannot produce good fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. You remember our Pharisee in the parable? It was like, God, I fast twice a week. I tithe all I have. He does, those are things that are good. He has a few good things, and because of that, he thinks he's a good tree. But he has a lot of things that are wrong with him. And so Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. And it's clear that he is not a good tree. The, the good tree is the one who produces good fruit because their heart is right. And that's what God is doing for us. God is entering us into a relationship with himself so that our hearts will be transformed. So we'll know what is right and love what is right. And that's why we're going to do it. How are we going to consistently do what we're called to do unless we love what we're called to do? We can do anything for a little while and put up with it. Like dieting or exercise. Horrible things, right? If we're forced to do it, we'll do it for a little while. But who are the ones that are dedicated to it? Only those, well, in that case, unless you're so in love with yourself. Or like you're on TV. I can't imagine the torture that is in an actress's mind who has to look thin on camera. You know how thin you have to look in life to look thin on camera, especially when they made high-definition cameras. But, um, you know, that's one way. But another way, the only way uh, that would make something a part of your character is that you love it. Paul is going to end this epistle with love. And it's his last word to us in this letter. Love with God's love. Be those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with God's love. That's his last word. And it shows that love is the chief of virtues. Chief. If we have that, we have everything. And that's what Paul again here as for the churches. He's He knew the great anxiety that the churches had in his account, and he did what was necessary to relieve their discouragement. That's another thing about love. Love does what it takes. It's not just words. Love acts. It, It does what is necessary because love wants to see it done. And, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Love causes action. And we'll find when we get to the doctrine of prayer that every word God says is the same as God acting. When God says, let there be light, he then doesn't create light. Right? If you say, let there be light, you've got to go find a light switch and turn it on. God says, let there be light, and there's light. And we're going to see that. We're going to see how his words change us. Uh, <clears throat> so our individual ministries... I had this yesterday. Our individual ministries will not be successful if we don't love the people we serve. Like I said, we'll do anything for a little while if if necessary. But if we do it consistently, we love it. Uh, to love what we do, we have to love the people we, we do for. Uh, I, saw, I saw a marvelous thing today uh, in my preparation for the doctrine of prayer, and it was about the Trinity. And I think, you know, 
as, I, as I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, well, here it comes. We're going to pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's how we all, I learned it. How we all learned it. And it wasn't about that. It was about the fact that God is one, and yet for all of eternity, he's been three persons. And we think about this. We go, man, eh, you know, how long can we think about it? I don't know. Not long for me. I, I get too confused. We all do. It's impossible to imagine. But, you know, as there's other false doctrines about God that don't make him a trinity. They're really attacks against the doctrine of the trinity. But if God is all alone in heaven, I mean, he's just one. The more popular doctrine is modalism. Modalism is also called Sabellianism, where, you know, God just has three hats. He's just like the same guy. But sometimes he looks like the Holy Spirit, so he puts on the Holy Spirit hat. And sometimes he looks like the Father, so on goes the Father hat. And he's just a God with three hats. And no. No, it's not. It's not that. God is three persons, but he's not made up of three things. Each person is God, which means infinite, not a third of infinite. Which even God has given mathematics to show us that you can't have a third of infinity. It's not infinity anymore. Uh, <clears throat> so infinite, but in three. So God within himself has always had a relationship of love and joy and intelligent communication. You know, whether we see Jesus when he's on earth, we say, well, this is he's a man. But yet, God, when God created the world, He spoke. What words did He speak? Hebrew? He certainly didn't speak English. Maybe He did. He can speak anything He wants. Pig Latin. I mean, who knows? But He spoke words. That means words with God are eternal. He didn't say, I'm going to create language and then use language to create the world. No, the Word is God. So, And that means... Words themselves. So within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they have words with each other. So what do we see there? Words, love, joy, coexistence, and perfect unity, and infinitely so, and we have relationship. And you know, it's, I'm, I'm reading this. I'm, the more excited I'm getting as I read it, and then he says something that just really pushed it over the hedge in a good way. That God is always seeking to give. I mean, if you're eternally in a relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you not one iota selfish, because it's simple. He doesn't have any of that in him. He's seeking the joy of sharing, of giving, of glory shared amongst one another. And he creates us in, our, in his image. And he invites us into that relationship. Hence, in prayer, we have God speaking to us in words. And we speak back to him, not by memorizing the words and regurgitating them, but by understanding who he is, like the Son would know the Father and the Father knows the Son, that we would know the Father and the Son and speak to God accordingly. 
And so this eternal relationship of love, and it makes sense that he would tell to us, you're never alone. You're in the body of Christ and you must serve one another, equip one another, give to one another, supply one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, and serve one another. Always. Because this is eternally the truth. That the Trinity has always been a relationship and perfect unity. Um, and, and, and so, you know, hence, this everything that we do in learning about God, praying to God, serving God, and, and serving one another, is we're seeing that glorious relationship eternally glorious relationship and it's changing us amazingly enough added to that is that in sinfulness what did we do we hid ourselves from god as soon as we fell we hid ourselves from god what did we want and then we blamed one another ah, she's the one who did it not me she gave me the fruit the devil made me do it and and we what what does sinfulness do Separate us. So we separate from one another. And essentially in a sinful world, uh, people will be social because they have to be. People will engage themselves in a societal relationship for like work and family because they have to. They also want to, but they have to. But in essence, what they eventually want to do is go off and be alone. And then... You know, we got the internet thanks to Al Gore, and uh, <laughs> and then what has it done? It, what has it done? It opened up communication to everybody worldwide, and we take this and we run off alone with it, and we build for ourselves a false life that's not even us, so that others who are not with us can admire us. And it just, what that is, is it speaks of the human condition. But look, we all still have it within us, too. We all still have a sin nature. We have this desire to run away and sin. We have this desire to isolate. We have this desire to feed self and no one else. And God has crucified that part of us and welcomed us into, entered us into, and in now in this life is revealing to us this is what Christianity, uh, sorry, the church is the first to have this. To be entered into union with the Father and the Son. In their very relationship, the Trinity's relationship, in fact, they would indwell us, make us the temple of God, and then invite us to speak with them. Not us to a priest to them, but us directly to them through Jesus Christ our Lord. And uh, and it's just, you know, <laughs> it's aspects of this. It's it's very simple, but you know, when you when you're when it becomes you become aware of the reality of what God has really done in human existence in this life that He's given us. It is the most wonderful thing, and and you cannot wait to explore it. Hence, it leads you to more prayer. You know, as more doors open to your understanding, you seek to understand those things deeper. And hence you dive into God's Word and 
And, and then you dive into God's Word, not for the sake of being a scholar, right? You dive into God's Word to find God Himself. We are to know about God, but that is not the end. In, that's that's a, a step towards the end. The end is knowing Him. So uh, Tychicus, which is part of being like God, it turns out, you know, Within the Trinity, the Son says, and that's why the um, Arianism, which was the, the the doctrine that Jesus was not God, uh, you know, which is picked up by all the cults, that, uh, you know, Jesus said, the Father's greater than I. So Jesus becomes a man. How, he can't be God. He's flesh and blood. And there were some who said, well, yeah, he's God, but he couldn't have been flesh because God can't be flesh. So, you know, it was you just thought you saw flesh, but it wasn't real flesh. That's dealt with in 1 John, that Gnostic doctrine. And then there are other groups of Gnostics who said, no, he was completely flesh, but there's no way that flesh can be God. And what does Jesus do here as there and still does? As God, who in Philippians, he obeyed, he, he uh, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He obeys the Father, submits to the Father, and says, I won't even say anything unless the Father tells me to say it. And what is he? What is he? He's, uh, let, me get, let me get you this, and we'll go back to minister. Look what it says. In Romans 15, 8 and 9, not only is he a servant to the Father, for I say, Paul writes, that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, meaning Israel, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. You see that word servant? That's diakonia. It's the same word that Paul here says Tychicus is a faithful servant. or a faithful. It's the same word in English. It's a minister deacon, but the word is used to describe Jesus Christ himself and here on the behalf of Jew and Gentile, which means all mankind. He served us. So we see him washing the disciples' feet. Do you know what I'm doing to you? The disciples are like, no. And then he said to us, you see what I'm doing to you? I don't know. Nobody says anything according to the Gospel of John. Then he says, I want you to do this for one another. So the Mennonites said, all right, let's get a bucket of water and a wash rag and let's wash each, other, wash each other's feet. Okay, it's gross, but uh, you know, that, that is not what he meant. He meant, do you know what I'm doing to you? Was the problem with the disciples the fact that they did, had dirty feet? No, the problem with the disciples was that they wouldn't wash each other's feet. Jesus was, it's probably not a coincidence, that there was no servant at the door. It was usually the youngest child in the house or somebody who would, on Passover or in any dinner party, that as the guests came, the youngest one, that would have been me because I'm the youngest of five, I would have been washing grubby feet. And the people would have come in and been like, oh boy, wash my feet, you know. Treating me like a servant. All right. When the disciples show up at the Last Supper, there's no servant there. There's no little, there's no little boy or little girl who's going to wash their feet. 
So they're tested immediately. Would they wash each other's feet? They did not. And to emphasize this, at the Last Supper, with dirty feet, we find that they're arguing amongst each other about who's the greatest disciple. And then Jesus puts on a slave's apron, a bucket of water, not a bucket, it would have been a bowl, And he comes to each of them and washes their feet. And he says, do you know what I've done to you? To which they don't answer. And then he says, I want you to do this to one another. And we might say, oh, fine. You you want us to serve these people? I can't stand most of them. But you just want me to earn points in heaven? You just want me to grovel before you because you have all authority and you're the king and all of that? Uh, you want me to just be the low life that I am? Fine. Is that what it is? We find out no. That he's God serves in the Trinity. We have this love and joy and service and conversation for all of eternity. And he's asking us to enter into that same relationship, not just with them, but with one another. Hence, love is the chief of all virtues. Love of God, love of one another. And then we're not afraid because we're all sinful. Um, You know, when I serve you like that, open up like that, my flaws are going to be seen. My weaknesses, my places where I lack intelligence. Um, But if I have love, I don't give a lick about any of that stuff. I care about you. Because I care about your Lord and mine. It's absolutely gorgeous, actually. When you see the real big picture here of why we're told to do these things. So, Tychicus is a diakonos. He is a minister or servant, which came to become the word deacon. Uh, We don't know if it's an official office in the early church. It kind of looks like it is, but uh, we don't see any ordination for it. We do see ordination for the presbyteroses. Those are the elders. Generally, presbyteros can just refer to an old person, so... Just kidding. Uh, And episkopos, which is much more often used, is definitely an ordained position, which is generally uh, translated overseer. Uh, We see both of those in the New Testament. Um, But what, what I love about this is he's called faithful. And, you know, in the modern church, in this big Western church, which is quite large, Uh, that people can have positions. And you would hope that the people who have appointed them to those positions have found them first faithful, and that's why they have those positions. But, of course, you you can't always say that. You wouldn't know that. So uh, even behind the pulpit, a person can go to a seminary, get a degree, and get a job. And they do hand them out. I, I, I saw that. It was one of the one of the reasons... Why, um, not that I'm looking for another job, I'm not, but, you know, it, it, the, uh, I, I, I 
by some website I came to another place where all of a sudden all these pastoral jobs that were offered all over the country were, you know, on this, you know, it was kind of like a help wanted ad. And I found it fascinating. And so anybody, but of course you would hope that the, whatever the board of directors and body, if they were to interview some pastor who graduated a seminary with a master's degree in divinity, which is what I'm getting, uh, not that I'm looking for another job, but, you know, if you want to give me a raise, you know, no, I'm kidding. I'm not going anywhere. The, uh, <clears throat> but this, you know, if they had that, you would want to make sure that they would refer back to the New Testament and say, you know, what are the qualifications of an episkopos or a presbyteros? What are those? And it's in First Timothy 3. And it's very moral and very ethical and very self-controlled. And it's a person who is faithful. So, um, again, we can't conclude for certain that it was an official position in the early church, but it's definitely hinted as such. Um, the faithful, it would certainly become a, an official appointment later on. The office of deacon, it's a very important one. And um, we find in Acts chapter 6 when the pastors themselves, the apostles, were overrun with the problem of taking care of the early church. They hired seven, hired, they appointed seven people to be deacons. And that's where we get uh, Stephen, who's the, the famous of those, who was martyred. All right, so that leads us to the close. This is kind of sad for me. I mean, uh, the reason why I'm going to do the study of the Holy Spirit after this, I'm going to do prayer and then the the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the church, I'm going to do that, uh, is because I purposely went through be filled with the Spirit quickly in Ephesians 5 because I knew I was going to come back to it. Um, And I am. And and we're going to look at the, when we look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the things that I kind of sped up on in Ephesians 4 and 5, which is filled with all the commands and ethics of the Christian life, we want to make sure we look at those in terms of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to refer back to those. We can do nothing in this Christian life without the power of the Spirit. So the benediction reminds us that God's love is the chief of virtues. Look at verse 23. And that peace comes from it. If we look at uh, verse 23, peace be to the brethren. Again, the only time this is in the third person in any of Paul's letters. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith. I've pondered, why is it love with faith? Right? And you think of there's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So what shouldn't it be faith with love? Uh, But we'll look at that. Actually, we've already learned this in uh, Ephesians 3. But we'll go, we'll go back to that. Uh, <clears throat> love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. So where it says there, and I'll, I'll show you this, uh, probably not today. Well, we might, but it says uh, with a love incorruptible. That second word, love, is not in the original language. 
it says with, I can give this to you quickly. Okay. There it is. It's the wrong way. Hold on. There it is. So literally, what we have here in the original is grace be with all of them who are loving our Lord Jesus Christ. It's loving because it's a, a present participle. This, uh, it has a present participle means in, in not so much continuous, but presently happening. So it would be presently happening when Paul writes this letter. So to those who you could say who currently love the Lord Jesus Christ, which it makes sense with all of them who are loving our Lord Jesus Christ in immortality. Not in a love incorruptible. Incorruptible is okay, but as long as we, and we'll see what the word, how it's used, the word means immortal. Paul uses it to describe our resurrection bodies. We were sown in corruption and will be raised in incorruption or immortality. And so it speaks here of a love that is immortal. I say, well, come on. Now, does that make any sense? And if you just, we think about it just a little, of course it does. There's immortal love, and therefore there's mortal love. And they often get confused. Mortal love is personal love, earthly love. And earthly love, though, is magnificent and is modeled after God's love. There's nothing in this world that is original on its own. Right? Even the things that people lust for, like power, we didn't invent power. Wealth, we didn't invent wealth. Lust, sexual, sex, we didn't invent any of those things. God gave them to us. They're his. And the same is true with love. Because we're fallen, love, the love of God has become corrupted in us and yet though it's corrupted it still has its noble parts but they're not immortal so like in a noble way uh, a, a man who loves a girl could do something sacrificial for her you know go out of his way to do something because he loves her and you know that that's noble it's a good thing to do but, you know, is it eternal? Well, you know, over time, does he do it all the time? Uh, is, he, is he always like that? Is, he, uh, is it just in the beginning of the relationship? Now they've been married for 30 years. Is he still going out of his way for her? Or has love grown cold or stale? You know, if it's only human love, it has to. We certainly don't get more attractive as we get older. So, you know, I, I, I love him because he's handsome. Well, I loved him because he was handsome years ago, you know. Um, you know, there, there's, or if you separate by, even if it's not a divorce, I mean, just say you're forced to be separated. Human love be, is weak. You know, it's modeled after God's love, but it, it's not the same. And it's very weak. But here, Paul, and so it was. it's almost to me like Paul saying the last thing he says is, don't confuse God's love 
with human love. There's some similarities, but they're nothing is the same. I, I mean, there's some similarities, but uh, in essence, they are not the same. <clears throat> so Paul says, peace be to the brethren. In every one of his letters, Paul opens up with grace and peace to you. Some form of that. It's usually grace and peace to you. There's a couple of letters where it's a little bit different, but the same two words are used. Peace, irene, grace is charis. Uh, and that's Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon all say grace be to you in the start. So, you know, make sure what, is this Paul's like, you know, it's almost like a letterhead. But they don't have photocopiers back then. Right? If, if, if I don't have a letterhead, I, I write like two letters a year to well, a few more. I write letters to one guy on the East Coast because he writes letters to me. <laughs> it's great. It's like our little correspondence. <clears throat> Once I said to him, I, I had just finished a book on on uh, John Adams. And uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were famous for their personal letters to one another. In fact, you can buy the book that has them all. People have written volumes about them. And I said, it's Ernie in, in Pennsylvania. I said, you know, Ernie, I don't think these letters of ours are going to go down in history as the <laughs> famous letters between, uh, yeah, published in books. <coughs> Actually, Ernie finds an old scrap of paper and writes on the back of them. Yeah, because he doesn't want to spend money on paper. He's he's awesome. He, he really is. I, I hope that someday they, that him and Denise's wife could come out here and you could all meet him. But um, <clears throat> yeah, and and so it's not a letterhead. It, it, this is not Paul saying, "Well, you know, I always open up the letter with grace and peace to you." No way. No way. Not this guy. Not the inspired word of God. It's always right at the front. The grace of God, which he uses here at the close. Again, read it. Um, we just got a few minutes. We can just talk about this a bit. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, doesn't that sound conditional? Grace to those who love him. Don't say every believer would love him. I, I don't, not the way Paul means it here, because he says with an immortal love or incorruptible love. Um, and so this brings out the fact that there's a there's a grace given to the whole world. We call it, theologically, it's called common grace. That you know God loved the world. But secondly, God is the creator of all mankind, and yet he uh, we wouldn't consider him the father of all mankind. Although a lot of people do, but when God uses the term father to us, we're saved children who are crying out to him, Abba, Father, that, you know, it's a special relationship between the father and his redeemed children. And so uh, there's a grace to them, his own, his people. But there's also... In, in the passage of in First Peter and in James, 
that God makes war with the proud but gives grace to the humble. We know not all believers are humble. And uh, so what, is, what would this mean? You know, when we, we have to be careful and say that, you know, the believer doesn't love God, doesn't get any grace. That's not really true. It's just that grace is a general word that means to be favored. And God favored the whole human race with creation, but also with an earth, with air to breathe. You know, in most cases, plenty of food and water. Uh, and so he's given them grace. He's given the world the gospel. And Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. That's grace. But if grace means favor, and it does, then there's also amongst believers this favor of a blessed life. And when I say blessed life, I mean enjoying the fruit of the Spirit. All of us have the Spirit. Not everybody enjoys the fruit of the Spirit. Being love, joy, patience, peace, kindness. I always leave some out when I say that list. Uh, and you know, not, not all believers experience that. So here, that's what this grace would be. And, this would, and it make, makes sense because in Paul's letter, starting in chapter 4, he has begun to show us that being, and you can tell Paul's somewhat burdened with this, being set apart unto God as a new creation. We're obligated, every one of us, to live in a way that mimics that life. Not mimics, that is that life. We're, you know, we're, we're obligated to do so. And, you know, that's what it fits here with what he says, that grace is to all of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with divine love. So, grace and peace to you. All right, well, we'll close it there and we'll finish this. This will definitely be finished tomorrow. So let's uh, pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and thank you for uh, what you have blessed us with in this letter. There's so much here, so much that you have conveyed in your truth, that you are infinite. Your mind is infinite. Your knowledge is. You've given us a portion of it. And yet, in that portion, it's more than we can behold. And yet, still, Father, we can behold enough so that we can enter into a relationship with you. And to be excited about that relationship, to have it become a reality in our lives, not some, just some theological uh, idea, but an actual, true relationship with you. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for Tychicus and all of those who have gone before us who have been faithful servants. We thank you for the faithful servants who are alive now and serving us. We pray, Father, that all of us would be those faithful servants who are beloved. And so, Father, we ask that you guide us and enlighten us. In Christ's name, amen.